The Athletic. As Liverpool's 14-year wait to be Real Madrid goes on following a 5-2 home defeat, there are questions about where Jurgen Klopp's men go from here and indeed how they go from here. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Now it's on the right-hand side with Salah. Salah approaching the penalty area. Slips the ball into the box. A flick from Nunez! Back to the goalkeeper by Carver. How? Oh, he's made the mess. Oh, it's a terrible error. Terrible error by Thibaut Courtois. Finishes Junior now near the left corner of the penalty area. Cutting in field, then turning back to Benzema. Close quarters. Finishes Junior again. Great footwork. Oh, what a goal! That's incredible! Se apoya en Alisson! ¡Uy! ¡Ay! ¡Ay! ¡Barbuda! ¡Barbuda! ¡Se lift it in! ¡They're in front! ¡It's a bullet header from Eder Militao! And the European champions who were 2-0 down after 14 minutes are now in front less than three minutes into the second half. When you allow a defender who's come up from a set piece, a free header from four or five yards out with no one near him so soon after uh, after half time. When your goalkeeper makes a mistake as he uh, as he did do, when Gomez doesn't get tight to Vinicius Junior in that in that first half for that first goal. So all these add up. You can't do that against any player, let alone world-class players in this fantastic Real Madrid team. Now here's Benzema, look out Liverpool, Benzema gets it back, left footed shot, deflected in! Alisson tried to react, but the deflection beat him. Para Vini, Vini se la va a cari, va a llegar, va a llegar, va a llegar, y gol, 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 So this Liverpool defence now, who we've been told for years have got some of the best players in the world, can't cope. Because for, for years they've had a front six in front of them who probably work harder and smarter than any other team in world football. And now that's gone, mm. it's completely fell apart. Jurgen Klopp said after the game, a defeat is only a defeat if you don't learn from it properly. So we're going to try and uh, see if we're going to help them learn from it and get the analysis from both angles. We'll see what we come up with to unpick everything that happened at Anfield, joined by Dermot Corrigan uh, and James Pearce. I, su- I suppose, actually, the, w- the wider point to start with, James, is are they learning from defeats in general this season? I don't want to go over everything that we've done on previous podcasts. Yeah. But that that has to be the question. Are they learning? Um, I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, I think what last night showed was that they've still got a hell of a long way to go. I think that those, those back-to-back Premier League wins over Everton and Newcastle lifted things a bit from, from where they were. But, yeah, clearly the, the step-up in class on Tuesday night was, was so big. And they were found wanting, and I think, yeah, that that kind of early blitz, those those, those lightning quick twenty minutes at the start, gave everyone, I think, from the Liverpool supporters, hope that they had been learning and that they were back. But then the the brutal reality, I think, kicked in with what followed, and you know, painfully familiar failings that Real Madrid exposed. Um, John Muller wrote this: Liverpool finished the game with more possession. More touches in the final third, more touches in the opponent's box, more big chances, more expected goals, and an overwhelming three-goal defeat. Kind of sums it up, really. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of been the story of the season as well in terms of shooting themselves in the foot, I think. And I, and I think that was probably why there was 
the, the mood around me in Anfield last night as 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 people left, well, they they were absolutely shell shocked because it was like how how was a night that started so positively descended into the heaviest home European defeat in the club's history? Because because you're right, they you know they did that. It wasn't it wasn't like they were found wanting throughout. You know they they were two not two up after 14 minutes. You know, when you think of the 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 guilt edge chance that Salah missed, it really should have been three. But yeah, the the you know, Real Madrid can hurt you in so many ways. They got so much experience, so much class, but so many of those goals were were gift wrapped. You know, even from Vinicius Junior's first one, I thought where Gomez was so slow to to close him down, and and of course the second one is a body blow with with Allison's blunder, and then you know Klopp said himself he felt that the decisive moment in the whole night was. The third goal just after half time, and you know, I'd probably go along with that because, you know, again, such a simple set piece, and how can Militao have free head of five yards out? Now, these are these are just basic things that that weren't done, and then you know the fourth and the fifth, again, you know, passive was how Klopp described Liverpool. So, yeah, the the stats the stats point to one thing, but I think anyone who watched that game in the second half, you know, could could see that there was a, there was a golf. That um, you know, nine months ago these teams met as equals in Paris, but they're not equals anymore. Which we will come on to because, in many ways, that that gulf is something that really needs examining. But just from a Real Madrid uh, point of view, Dermot, I mean, we're talking about where Liverpool's failings were. That's not giving any credit at all to the champions. Yeah, Madrid did very well. They. And Shadi afterwards spoke a lot about how they kept cool, that even when they went 2-0 down, that they didn't lose their heads, that you could see people like Modric were just trying to get a hold of the ball in, in midfield, and Benzema as well. And Madrid just have this confidence about them um, that when the, the big games come around and the Champions League comes around, that they'll find a way to do it. Like last season, we could go over again, it was like miracle after miracle as they kept coming back at, at the Bernabeu against PSG and then Chelsea and then Man City. Last night they got it over you know, much quicker in, in like within an hour of the game played or so. But the, there's just a feeling that that Madrid are, are so comfortable in the competition and that Liverpool, for instance, Liverpool did kind of, I don't know whether they, Madrid, Liverpool feel that Madrid have the Indian sign over them or, or they feel that, that Liverpool, there was no confidence that they could come back once Madrid took control of the game. And at the end, you know, they're passing it around, Modric to, to Benzema, to Ceballos came on and playing these little triangles. Even Nacho comes on at left back and suddenly looks like a, a world beater. Like, it just everything clicked from Madrid as it has so often in Champions League in recent years. I haven't seen much of La Liga this season, partly because I've no idea where to find it in the UK by the old game on, on ITV4. They're evidently not playing like that in La Liga every week. No, like they started off the season fantastically. Back September, October, they were flying and then everybody just took a break for the World Cup. Like, even... They, they won the Clásico against Barca in mid-October, I think. And after that, they were suddenly losing to Mallorca. They were drawing against Osasuna. They, just mentally, they, they switched off. You know, some players were, or a lot of players were, were going to the World Cup. And since they came back, they haven't been great either. Like, they, they lost in the Spanish Supercopa to Barcelona. They've been dropping points in La Liga. But Ancelotti said last week that uh, football teams can go from good to bad very quickly or bad to good very quickly. And he kind of said Madrid are specialists in, in that, in, in switching on. Because they, they haven't been playing great. You know, Benzema's been injured. Courtois's been injured. Alaba was only coming back last night. Modric has had a couple of knocks. Cruz missed the game last night. You know, most of their big players haven't been having 
fantastic seasons. Vinicius has had all the trouble that we've talked about on, on the pod as well, the, the racist abuse that he's been suffering. Um, you know, Barca run away with La Liga, but when the Champions League co- comes around, which is something that Madrid have done, you know, going back decades as well, the focus was there, they knew what was needed, and they just went and did it. Going back to Liverpool tactically, and then I want to compare the, the, the two clubs, James, defensively, as you've pointed out, it was it was a shocker last night. But you defend as a team, don't you? I've read some really interesting analysis over the course of last night and this morning that suggests whilst you can put the criticism on on how they have defended that, that back four, it starts from the front and they've lost some of the consistent, well-organised pressing that they used to have from their original front three back three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's fair. I think... I think you'd have to say the drop off this season has been in all departments. It's not, I think the the midfield area has been a lightning rod for criticism, and you know, understandably so at times with with some of the some of the the manner in which Liverpool have lost games and have lost so many battles in that area of the pitch. But but yeah, they don't they don't press from the front like they used to. I think um, you know you could go back to you know the, the departure of Sadio Mane and. You know, and of course, you know, Darwin Nunes is a very different type of attacker. You know, Cody Gappo still finding his feet after that January move. Um, right through to, you know, the midfield department, which is, you know, everyone knows that there's a, a big midfield rebuild on the horizon this this summer. Um, you know, again, I thought you know, Modric, you know, it's not it's not too often you see an opposition player applauded off the pitch by the home fans, but he was at Anfield last night and rightly so because, you know, Modric again, you know, 37 years of age, but just in a whole different league to to Henderson, Fabino or, or young Stefan Bacetic. And then and then yeah, the, the knock on effect of that is when there isn't sufficient protection, your back line is exposed more often and and have more to do. And 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 again, you know, I I think for all the talk of Liverpool needing to strengthen in midfield this summer. They also need to go and sign another centre back for me because um, another one. Well, they 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 I, they, I mean because because they are they are in the main. If Van Dijk is fit, they 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 appear to be in some kind of rotation al- alongside him, don't they? You couldn't you couldn't or maybe you could. I couldn't say who is Liverpool's number one centre back alongside Van Dijk. Well. The number one aside him is Canate, but the, the problem has been that Canate has, hasn't been fit for most of the season. So that that's why there hasn't been a, a consistent partnership there. I mean, Canate emerged as the, the kind of number one partner for Van Dijk. But yeah, missed, missed, you know, he was injured in pre-season, missed a big chunk of the first half of the season, came back and then has got injured again. Um, so it's been a kind of rotation policy between Matip and Gomez and and of course, when Van Dijk was out for six weeks, Matip and Gomez played together, which simply doesn't work because neither of them are, are a leader back there, neither particularly vocal. And, and I thought, you know, I, yeah, I thought at times Real Madrid really kind of preyed on Gomez last night, and he's having he's having a difficult difficult time of it. So I think, um, yeah, it's it's just I think I think that was the kind of what was most painful in terms of watching that second half and. Forget those stats. I mean, I think, I think as well when you, you know, when you when you see Real Madrid knocking the ball around like they did in the last ten minutes, and the Olays coming from the away end, you know, Liverpool couldn't get near them. And you know, and when you 
you know, Liverpool had never conceded four in a home European European game, let alone five. So, and it is, yeah, it's a, it's a team that's been that's been found wanting and is malfunctioning in in every department. Not, you know, it's you're right, you know, they, they don't press like they used to, they don't control games like they used to, they certainly can't manage games. So you saw that at two 0 you know, it's you know, you've you've had the dream start, you know, two two nil up after fourteen minutes and. You know, and and then so quickly it, it it disappeared. Dermot, give us a um, give us a history lesson on Real Madrid's recruitment policy since the Galacticos, because I, I think most major European clubs on this podcast over the however many years it's been, we've talked about sporting directors, head of recruitments, how they recruit, um, and I'm not sure I've ever done one. On Real Madrid, because I still think there's a perception that Real Madrid just go out and sign a Galactico and they and there you go. But their recruitment policy and their squad building now just appears very subtle and very clever. Yeah, for sure. Like Florentino Perez and the people around him learned a lot from from his first spell in charge. I don't think they would say they made too many mistakes because it's Florentino Perez. But uh, <laughs> the yeah, since over the last like ten years or so, they, they've been just really really clever and they don't have it's not like they have a huge data department or they have a huge like they've gone and picked out like a, a manchi type figure to come in and run their the recruitment it's still florentino paris has a big say in, in what happens he has people who he speaks to he has kind of agents there's directors there with a lot of experience they're not they're not real football people if if you know what i mean they're not like edwards who, who was at liverpool it's not that type of a, a setup a, at all and um, they've Juni Califat, who's came in as used to be on the TV here for a while, and then went in as South American scout, and has now moved up through it. He's been responsible for picking out Vinicius and Rodrigo and Fede Valverde, who've come from uh, South America. People like Cruz and Courtois were picked up. Cruz came on a free from Bayern Munich. Courtois came was coming down towards the end of his Chelsea contract, and they've just been very smart about but what they're doing. Like you don't have to be a, a genius to go. Oh, Tony Cruz has won the World Cup with. With Germany and the Champions League, let's get him on a free transfer. When you're Madrid, it helps a lot. You're able to attract players like that. Um, that uh, maybe other teams w- would find it harder to do, but yeah, it's just worked out perfectly well for them, and they they are kind of proud of it as well. That they, they know the cat. Is it, sorry, sorry, I was going to say, is it, is there a market that they particularly look at? I mean, it, it, they've recently signed an, another young kid, haven't they? From uh, yeah. from Brazil, who's I've, I forgot what he's called now, which is not great. But anyway, um, you know, they they appear to look at the very young market in South America, but maybe then the young market in you know France, which is where they've obviously gone and got Chuamani and Camavinga from in in recent seasons. Yeah, they they decided a couple of years ago that they weren't able to compete at the very top of the market when Neymar went to to Paris Saint Germain um, for that two hundred twenty two million. They knew they just couldn't fight against that. And they've complained a lot, you know, this, go into the Super League and everything about how it, it's unfair. They're just impossible to compete with the, the state-owned clubs. So they have a couple of, of kind of strands of, of their transfer policy. One is to, to try and get the best young superstars before they become um, too expensive for, for them to sign, before they're on huge wages. Uh, they've tried to get Mbappe and, and Haaland in, in that way as well, um, but we're, we're, we're unable to get them so far. Um and then, they, like they go to Germany, and they know that they can't offer him as much money as even as Liverpool, I think. Um, or we'll see what happens with, with Bellingham as well. But they they go and they they say, look, you you can come to Real Madrid, you can win stuff here, you can play with the the best players in the world, you can play in the Bernabeu all, all the time. 
and they just try and convince players that way. And the, the glamour and the just the, the cachet of Madrid and you know nights like last night as well um, mean that they can convince still pretty much anybody to join them. They're probably in very similar markets to Liverpool. I realised, James, there, there, there would be all, all sorts of work permit problems if you're trying to sign a, a kid from South America. But actually, where, where both clubs look in Europe is not is not dissimilar. No, no, and, and of course, you know, we talk about Liverpool's kind of midfield woes, and and you kind of think how different things might have been had had they not lost the battle for Tashmani to to Real Madrid last last June because you know he was he was very high on Liverpool Liverpool's kind of list of list of targets and of course at the time he chose to leave Monaco for the Bernabeu rather than rather than Anfield and there was a lot of disappointment at Liverpool at the time that they'd missed out on him and that they had him in such a kind of a high bracket that they didn't end up pursuing anyone else and I think I think that was kind of the baffling thing was that having highlighted that they really needed reinforcements in that area. They, they, they didn't have a plan B that they felt they could go to. Of course, you know, Bellingham was the other one, but they everyone knew that getting him out of Dortmund wasn't a realistic proposition until this summer. So, um, so yeah, I think certainly the pulling power of Real Madrid came to the fore on that one. You know the rule of of, of a podcast involving Liverpool, do you, James? Which is every every single thing that happens has to be then framed through the the Bellingham prism. Last night, this tie have any effect on that? Uh, well, I mean, I did. Yeah, I did see a tweet that <laughs> that the provoked a rise smile. That was, um, you know, so I think it said something along the lines of, you know, you know, but you know about Bellingham. You know, he certainly won't want to go to Rome, Real Madrid when he looks at the the, the, the decline in them. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I I think. I think probably more important in the context of what happens with Bellingham this summer is probably actually what happens to Liverpool now. I think um, more than I, I can't. I can't imagine Bellingham and the people around him were watching that, going right. Whoever wins tonight, I'll, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll, back, I'll back them for the next stage of my career. I think, um, and I think you know, Klopp, Klopp kind of touched the obviously not not referring to Bellingham, but in general touched upon it afterwards because I think you know. You know, of course, of, of course, Liverpool have pulled off miraculous fight backs that no one gave them a, a chance of doing. You know, in, you know, Ancelotti was saying the tie's not over. You know, of course, his AC Milan team were on the receiving end from three down at the, at the midway point in Istanbul. You know, Liverpool doing what they did against Barcelona four years ago. But yeah, of course, going to the Bernabeu is such a different proposition in three weeks' time. But, you know, the the big thing before then is can Klopp ensure that this doesn't completely derail things and that they can still cling to the kind of modicum of of kind of progress that have been achieved with those wins over Everton and Newcastle. And, you know, they've got to go to Palace on the weekend and they've got Wolves, Manchester United at home, Bournemouth away before they go to they go to Spain. So um so yeah, I think in terms of Bellingham, it's you know, it, you know, they have to for me salvage something from this season which is top four you know silver any any lingering talk of silverware is gone now for me it's it's just about you know can they ensure they're competing amongst europe's elite next season this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Ian Irving here, host of the world's biggest Manchester United podcast, Talk of the Devils, brought to you by The Athletic, of course. It's the most exciting week of football for the club in years, with another league victory teeing up the Barcelona second leg and the League Cup final on Sunday. So make sure you join me, Andy Mitten, Laurie Whitwell and Carl Anker for this week's episodes. There's Takeover Talk in there, of course, too. Just search for Talk of the Devils on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. Just a bigger picture on uh, on both clubs before we go as well, Dermot. You see a night like that, you see how Real Madrid played, you see how they demolished Liverpool, and you wonder why Real Madrid's president is trying to force a Super League, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> they, he's, it's because he wants to get more a bigger share of the money that, that football is generating. Um, it's kind of what it, what's all down to money and power and that kind of thing. What what happens on the pitch is kind of well, it's down to money, isn't it? It's, down to, yeah. it's actually not really down to power because Real Madrid have the power. They certainly have the power on the field because we saw that we saw that last night. So it is literally down to money, yeah. which is no surprise to anybody. Yeah, there was there was kind of worries last year that because the the Super League thing was up, that it might affect the refereeing or that UEFA might be against them. But then you saw like Madrid got to the Went went all the way to and won it, and Barcelona were in the the women's final as well, so it didn't seem to to hassle them that much. But yeah, it's, it's ironic because there's more protests last night against um, against UEFA from the Liverpool fans as well, which were were echoed here in Madrid. And yeah, UEFA not no, they'll take the trophy, but UEFA are not so popular around Madrid at the minute. They did just talk us through those protests, James, because you can completely understand them. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a a powerful display. And a, and a lot of anger, I think, was was evident right from right from the jeers and the boos that met the the anthem that was played before kickoff and the chants from the cop and then you know the the symbolism of lots of banners that had been smuggled into the ground being unfurled after 36 minutes, which was obviously the the length of time that UEFA delayed the kickoff in Paris last May and you know Seferin and Callan, the 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 head of UEFA events were. You know, kind of the the target on one banners, you know, calling call on them to resign, and 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 French politicians as well, it's because of the the lies that they peddled in in the wake of Paris and trying to cover up their own failings. So yeah, there was there was a lot of a lot of feeling, and you know, when you, I I, I did a I did a piece with our Real Madrid guys, you know, last week uh, on the Athletic, you know, speaking to fans in a still really badly affected by by what happened in Paris. You know, one one guy I went and met in his apartment in Liverpool, he was only just started walking again. You know, he was he was set upon by a by a gang, you know, outside the Stade de France as police stood on watching and, you know, attacked with a hammer, his knee completely demolished. He's awaiting a third operation. Hasn't been able to work since. So yeah, it was it was I think, you know, there's two parts to it really. One thing for Liverpool fans especially you know everything that went on outside the grounds in terms of you know the shambolic organisation, you know the dangerous bottlenecks, you know being tear gassed by police, turnstiles not working, and then the complete lack of protection. You know being 
you know, been exposed to such danger, uh, you know, so many people attacked outside the ground afterwards. It was, um, yeah, you could understand, you can understand that the anger and, you know, and obviously the, the report, the independent report that was published last week that, that held UEFA quite rightly culpable for what went on, you know, obviously just confirmed to Liverpool fans what they already knew. But you'd like to think there was a few people at UEFA headquarters shuffling uneasily at, um, some of the sights and sounds at Anfield because there was, yeah, there was certainly a lot of feeling around me. And that anger is not going to dissipate amongst the Liverpool fans. I mean, we see it for completely different reasons, but the Manchester City fans carry their anger towards UEFA into every single game that they play in the Champions League. Would you expect some similar protests in Madrid ahead of the second leg? Derma, I mean, more more and more clubs who are in this competition, which is delivering on the field, it feels like, it really does, are, their fans are so anti this organisation, and in many cases, understandably. Yeah, for sure. Like, I wouldn't expect so many banners and such an emotional kind of occasion as, as it was last night for uh, at Anfield at the Bernabeu, but the UA Phantom will be whistled, gets whistled at Atletico games, gets whistled at Barcelona games as well for, for different reasons, and yet... Like Madrid and Barca fans are, are against UEFA. I think other people are can kind of you can be against the Super League and against UEFA. It's not that you have to pick a side. It's kind of like lesser of two evils, maybe. But um, it does seem to be a kind of reorganization of how football is organized coming down the line. FIFA have this Club World Cup, Club World Cup expansion coming up as well. There's kind of there's too many um, pressures on the players, too many games to play, too many kind of competing interests and. Whether the Super League is the right way to resolve it or not, you know, remains to be seen. But in Spain, there is a feeling that that something has to be done. And even the players have come out about it. Like the calendar that Madrid have gone through as well has been has been just horrible for them. They've been to players went to the World Cup. Then they were in the Spanish Super Copa in Saudi Arabia. They were in Morocco for the Club World Cup all in the last couple of weeks. And um, which has means that a lot of their players are not at 100 percent. Also that they've slipped off in the Liga. But again, when the Champions League came around and the big game came around last night, they were able to to find it but I, I wouldn't make them favourites for the competition this year they weren't last year they kept coming along and doing it but somebody might catch them along the way I think We will end it there thank you very much to you both I'm sure James you've got an awful lot to do uh, today uh, if you want to read more from both Dermot and James head to theathletic.com slash football pod if you're not yet a subscriber to get the latest offer available plenty more from James as well uh, on our Liverpool podcast uh, Walk On and on the next pod, uh, it's a goalkeeping conversation ahead of the Carabao Cup final. So follow us on your preferred app to get every episode as it drops. The Athletic.